Hour number two of Canuck Central. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Yes, still a lot to come. If you missed hour one, JT Miller joined us. Subscribe to the podcast. That way you never miss any of our exclusive interviews, inside info, and any of the post-game shows as well. Every post-game show ends up on the Canuck Central podcast feed. But uh, JT Miller was... Really good, and he usually is uh, when speaking with the media. Talked about uh, his future in Vancouver, uh, how the team is dealing with the nonstop trade rumors that have been circling around them, and uh, also about uh, the recent blowout losses that are, uh, quote, unacceptable in his eyes uh, for this team. So, uh Suggest you go back and listen to J.T. Miller in hour one of today's show. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned B.C. company helping local business since 1892. Let's bring in our next guest. It is David Pinota of the fourth period, espresso in hand as he's watching the Leafs and Buffalo Sabres packs. I wish. They don't serve it here. <laughs> <laughs> Just good old Timmy's. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to besperch uh, Tim Hortons. I will say a good Tim's breakfast sandwich mm-hmm. is oh, yeah. still fantastic, especially on the biscuit. Get yeah. a double toasted, and it's spectacular. Ooh, the double toast. Nice. Yeah, try that. <laughs> Trust I, me. I, I got to give that a shot. You got to. You got to. I'm a big biscuit guy on that one. So, okay, good. Good. Doing that tomorrow. Uh, just give me the chocolate dip donut, and I'm good to go. <laughs> so basic. Sour cream glaze, come on. <laughs> this is the guy who's always talking about, like, fine dining and, and Italian right. spros. He's like, just give me a simple chocolate dip. Hey, man, look, the beauty of Italian cuisine, okay, is its simplicity. Dave will back me up on this. Like, Very you know, yep. the, the, the basics of Italian cuisine is that, like, you're just going with whatever you've got on hand. You know, exactly. or it's fresh, comes straight fr- out of the out of the garden. You know, right. uh, or it's that's in your exactly pantry. It. That's what it's. That's what it's all about, Pags. Right? Back me up on this. That's it. We're not throwing chocolate on top of a cookie and throwing it into the oven. No, we're, just, <laughs> we're taking a cookie, dipping it in the Nutella jar, and putting it in our mouth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, very Spartan. It's not like you're just having garlic and a pasta every day. <laughs> no, you gotta, you know. Mix it up. Mix it up every once in a while. Yeah, sometimes you go uh, with, you know, uh, carbonara instead of the pasta di olio or, or cacio e pepe. I don't know. Anyways. You got a bunch of stuff left over in the fridge? Oh, <laughs> we got minestrone. It's <laughs> exactly how it works. Uh, David Pinota of uh, the fourth period. Uh, we talked to JT Miller an hour ago, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, – discussion around the Canucks and how they're kind of getting fed up with all of uh, the nonstop trade rumors, but uh, it's kind of par for the course given how this season has gone for the team. Uh, What do you make of uh, certain Canucks players kind of getting tired of the trade rumors? I've I've talked to a couple as well, and they share the exact same thing as JT, but the problem is um, teams keep calling and keep having those conversations. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it, it comes with the territory, given the circumstances of this season. Teams are going to continue to call. They're going to continue to try to vulture around the club and see if there's going to be an opportunity for them to 
you know, grab an asset and get out of here. But um, the Canucks are continuing to hold firm. Uh, they're standing their ground. They'll still continue to listen. They'll take the calls. Mm-hmm. They'll see if anything, you know, really gets the move in here. But, I mean, I, I get the frustration. I really do, especially around this time of year. It doesn't just affect them. It affects the families, lives, kids, everything. Um, you know, the, the noise gets louder and louder as we get closer to the deadline. So I definitely sympathize with them. But, unfortunately, you know, this is this is the nature of the beast, and these will continue until we hit – you know, noon Pacific time on the 21st. Mm-hmm. Well, and the reality is, as much as even some fans get get uh, frustrated by the trade discussion, the appetite for trade talk is unbelievably high at all times. You know this very well, Dave. I don't need to tell you <laughs> right. about that with what yeah. you do. There's a massive appetite from it from the fan base or every fan base, really. And, you know, as far as that goes and the names that are kind of out there right now for Vancouver, what's kind of the name that's kind of making the rounds this week right now? I, I'm hearing a little bit more on the Connor Garland side of things. Um, just teams, again, and this has been from the get-go, the same with J.T. Miller and Brock Besser and Tyler Myers and Tyler Mott and so on and so on. Um, it just You're hearing it a little bit more with respect to Garland in the first bit of this week, in the last few days. Uh, and it could simply be the fact that it's coincidence teams are calling and having those discussions and you know spreading that information around. Um, I, I, again, I don't think anything is imminent by any stretch with anybody uh this is again the canucks continuing to just listen and and do their due diligence but you know we, we continue to hear new jersey toronto is creeping up uh, as as it sounds like they're trying to get another winger into uh into the fold in in toronto and we know that they had interest in connor garland from arizona before he was dealt to vancouver in the summer so there's you know that interest continues uh, it, it certainly seems, but again, it doesn't sound like anything is close at this point, um, but the conversations are still going. Uh, anytime you mention the Leafs in a conversation with uh, <laughs> with the Canucks, we know what, what could potentially happen, um, but... Yeah, this isn't... Uh, Both cities implode. Yes, as we go into uh, Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. It's just the perfect right. time for Jim Rutherford and Kyle Dubas to do business. Okay, we'll stop with the uh, nonstop speculation, but did, did the Leafs not have interest in Connor Garland going back to, to last summer? Yeah. yeah, they absolutely did. Uh, they were one of the teams that were in on him, trying to acquire him from the from the Coyotes. Um, obviously, there, that, that interest has been you know relatively rekindled in... in the last little while. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, there, there were a number of teams that tried to get him in the off season because they knew that Arizona was going to move him. They were afraid of the deal that he was going to eventually command. And, and he's got a sweetheart of a deal. So he's, it's even more attractive now to a certain extent because he's already locked in uh, and, and has a few more years left on his contract. So, you know, whether it's Toronto or another team, or it may end up being nobody uh, by, by the trade deadline, but, this time of year, everybody's going to have those conversations. Toronto has a little bit of extra cap space. They're uncertain what happens, what's going to happen with Jake Muzzin in terms of his recovery time. If he does come back for the end of the regular season, then that's going to affect what they do in the next you know, few weeks. But they're looking to move out some bodies. They're looking to trade. They've been looking to trade Travis Thurman for a little while to free up a, a, some additional money. He's got another year on his deal. Uh, so th- there's a lot of creativity that has to happen around this time of year, not just for Toronto, but for another team, uh, a number of teams, mm-hmm. excuse me, in order to maneuver the cap. 
Well, and, you know, you mentioned Vancouver is not really close to doing anything right now. They haven't been presented with anything they have to move on. Do you get a sense mm-hmm. that there is a team that could be close to doing something? With Vancouver or, or just general? Just in general. Um, like, you know, I mean, with Vancouver, of yeah. course, yeah. And, and somewhere else, another team, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think Montreal's getting closer. It sounded like in the last few days, getting closer to doing something else. I know they made the one minor trade mm-hmm. from McNiven to, to Calgary, but from one of their main roster guys, it sounds like there's something else. Now, whether it's Sherratt, whether it's, you know, Arturi Lekkinen, um, or, or another, you know, piece off, off their roster. Brett Kulak is another player that has generated some interest in teams because of how many playoff games he's played in the last couple of seasons. There could be one of those guys, but it sounds like things are heating up a little bit more again in Montreal with respect to some of their players. Uh, so it wouldn't certainly shock me if we see an impact type of deal uh, kind of come out of there is sometime this week. And, and look, I, I thought Sherratt would have been traded by now. So, you know, we'll see. Conversations certainly change with, within, you know, minutes. But um, they're, they're one of the teams that I'm looking at right now and going, okay, I wouldn't be shocked if they, we see something of significance coming out of, coming out of there in the next little while. David Pignota, our guest here on uh, Canucks Central, uh, he of the fourth period, NHL insider. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about um, the Rangers just as a potential suitor for J.T. Miller in the past, but you know, watching them against the Canucks on on Sunday, and I'm like, yeah, the Rangers do need a lot of help. Like, what's Chris Jury waiting for here? Whether it's J.T. Miller or somebody else, like, I do feel like the Rangers – they do need this, and with the way Shesterkin is is playing this year, why not add something to this roster? It feels like they're in the perfect spot to make a big add, if not two, going into the deadline. And they've got a ton of cap flexibility as well. Um, so I don't know if they're waiting. Which how much that. longer they're going to have that for, right? Right. Well, exactly. So, I mean, you, you kind of – strike while the iron's hot kind of kind of mentality with the New York Rangers. I totally get it. Um, I think they're waiting for prices to drop a little bit. Uh, you know, it doesn't sound like – this is the thing as well with the market in general. There aren't that many top flight, top six forwards that are available. You've got Giroux. You've got Ricard Raquel, uh, Max Domi. Then it drops to Phil Kessel, and it just continues to drop from there in terms of rental players that are on expiring contracts. Uh, so – from a defensive perspective, there are a ton of defensemen that are available, but the forward market is totally different. So you're looking at guys that have some term left on their contract, and that's where things get a little bit trickier when you're trying to make a, you know, a deal, especially as we inch closer to the, to the trade deadlines. Whether it's one year left on his deal, like a JT Miller, or whether it's you know, another player that's got two, three plus, you know, Connor Garland, or, or a pending RFA in Brock Besser as examples. Um, you know, it makes things controllable assets a little bit more difficult because their prices will be a lot higher knowing that the market is so thin from a top six forward perspective. So that would be one of the things that I would believe is holding the Rangers off from making something. But I mean, you know, eventually they got, I wouldn't be shocked if they pull something off one or two different moves because they've got that flexibility to do it now. One team I'm really curious about, Dave, is the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, it's been yeah. a few down years now, right? Shovel Dayoff's been there for a long time. They made the coaching change, and this team just keeps underachieving. And there's stuff about Shifley out there. I mean, how close an eye should we keep on the Winnipeg Jets at the deadline? 
I, I don't think we're going to see anything dramatic from Winnipeg right now. Uh, if anything, you know, they got that nice little win in, in a heck of a weird game mm-hmm. yesterday against Montreal. Um, so maybe that turns things up a little bit for them. But if, if they're not going on a heater anytime soon, this team is going to move out a couple pieces. Uh, Andrew Kopp, Paul Stastny are going to be the ones that everyone's going to kind of look at as, you know, players that could, you know, help contending teams, specifically uh, Kopp. I mean, he's going to be a player that almost any contender is going to want to add to their third line or bottom six and, and really utilize, you know, that moving forward. I, I Down the stretch, I mean. Um, other than that, I don't, I don't really see anything of major significance happening before the deadline from Winnipeg's perspective. If they miss, if they start to sink, if they don't make things a little bit more interesting in the weeks leading up to the deadline and then down the stretch, then you've got to have some serious questions that you've got to ask what, uh, with, with respect to the direction of the team. And some of the players that are there, Connor Hellebuck's been all over the place, um, what's going to happen in goal. So there, there are going to be a lot of questions. They still would like to figure out their defensive core and shore that up a little bit more. But I think a, a lot of the changes, if we do see some significant changes in Winnipeg, I think a lot of them will occur in the offseason and we'll see some cosmetic movement happen before the deadline. You know, there's uh, one team that I find particularly fascinating. You were ahead of the game on, on John Klingberg, but the Dallas Stars, you know, not just Klingberg, but also Joe Pavelski. Like, what are you thinking the Dallas Stars do here? Do they sell off some of these unrestricted free agents? Or do they pull the Columbus move and just say, to hell with it, we're going for it this year, and then we'll deal with the rest in the future? Well, Klingberg, same situation. No contract talks. They've made it pretty clear his this will be his last season one way or another in Dallas. Um, so there's still that possibility that they move him regardless of what or, or where they seed in the standings. You know, they're only, I think, a couple points out of yeah. the final wild card spot with two games in hand of the Oilers. They've got a game in hand of Nashville. There are a few points back in them. I mean, they feel, and I talked to a few players there, the mindset is, no, we, we, can, we can roll with this. We can keep this going. And we can certainly build and, and remain in the race. Uh, they're talking to Joe Pavelski's camp this week. They want to try to see if they can get him ironed into a, to an extension. If they and it may not happen necessarily this week, but if they get any indication that it, it's not going to happen, then that may change their mindset a little bit. But I can tell you, they love him. They really like him in, in the room, in the community. He really likes it there. He's kind of in a short period of time. This is signed a three-year deal. This is last year. In a fairly short period of time, he's really entrenched himself in that community. Um, so it's, it's, it's from, from all the outside noise, it certainly sounds like there's a match there to keep this going beyond this season. But they're trying to figure that out uh, this week. Graydon Holpe, expiring deal. They like the fact that they've got a veteran guy like him that has won some hardware that can not only step in if needed, uh, but kind of coach and help out Gerald kind of along the way. And he's kind of good with that role. Um, so we may not see too much activity from them unless they totally bottom out and the wheels completely fall off and they go on a, whatever, five, six-game losing streak going into the deadline, I think they're going to, for the most part, stand firm, other than kind of what's happening with John Klingberg. If they get a, a right deal for him, they'll move him. They'll try to replace that with a guy with term 
uh, but that's you know, it's kind of a lot to do in the next three weeks. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep tabs. But again, unless they completely bottom out, I think they're going to hold firm unless they really know that they won't be able to sign uh, Joe Pavelski. As for Radulov, I think it's his last year in Dallas. All right. Remember the pro tip, double toasted. Right. Yes. I'm going to, I'm not messing around. I'm trying that tomorrow. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk next time and get the review. Thanks for this, Pags. You got it. Thanks, boys. Uh, there he is, David Pedota, one of our favorites uh, with the fourth period, joining us uh, regularly here on Canucks Central. Interesting to hear uh, the Leafs as a potential suitor for Connor Garland. We know the Bruins have kind of snuffed, sniffed around over there, but still seems as though the Canucks are more listening than mm-hmm. engaging in any sort of trade conversation right now, Seth. That's the thing, and this is what we've heard. The Canucks are listening, they're doing their job, but unless they get wowed by something, they're not really moving. And so far, nobody's really wowing them with any yeah. sort of these offers. And what have we heard? What did Frank Cervalli tell us? Uh, I mean, Frank Cervalli told us yesterday, Dan, that it could be a real buyer's market this year because there's so many teams that are looking to sell and you have some teams that are buyers and they can really pick their spots with this. And we start going through these guys, right? Like add Paul Stasny to the list, Andrew Kopp to the list, Tomas Hurdle to the list, right? Claude Giroux to the list. We just talked about a bunch of other guys that are kind of in that list of players that could be moved as rentals. Riley Smith, who's kind of been mentioned. I mean, there's so many guys out there as it is. What does that kind of mean? That means teams are trying to get guys, but they're not trying to offer a ton. They're trying to see if they can get somebody on the cheap, relatively speaking. And when you're in that spot, you're not going to be moving somebody that you value. Yeah. And again, like you think back to what got the Toffoli deal done for Montreal. They just really like the prospect coming back from Calgary. And I think a lot of that is this. I know we've uh, kind of debated this quite a bit, but a first-round pick isn't enough. And I think a lot of teams are more cognizant of that now mm-hmm. than they may have been in the past because, look, if I'm getting a, a pick in the 20s, is that is that really moving the needle for me to give yeah. up, a re- like in the Canucks case, some pretty high-end players? Like, no, you need to get – like the first-round pick is a baseline of what should be included in the deal, but it's – Certainly not something that tips the scale in terms of getting a deal done. Maybe if it's a rental, but not in any of the Canucks situations with players of term. And I think that's kind of the case around the league as well. Right. And a lot of those teams that are kind of ready to win now and are willing to maybe acquire JT Miller or somebody like that or or higher-end guy, they're also a team that's looking to win for the next few years. Which means if they have a young prospect who they think is going to step in and play for them on the cheap... They don't want to lose that. They view that player to be integral to them being competitive Mm -hmm. in two or three years because they're paying so many other guys. You need guys on ELCs to come in and supplement your roster. So if you have a couple of guys that you think are going to be good and they're surefire prospects, you don't want to move them because you move them as much as you get JT or somebody else that's really good. In a year, you're going to be missing that guy you gave up to supplement him to try to win around the guys you're paying a lot of money for, right? So... That's the catch twenty two these teams find themselves in. They're willing, they're willing to give you picks. They're willing to give you, you know, excess assets and prospects, mm-hmm. but not their very best or the most NHL ready guys. And until a team is ready to move one of those guys, well, the Canucks are going to keep saying no. I am uh, really interested to see what the Dallas Stars do. Sat, like I think Hurdle is a hell of a player. 
and is probably the best unrestricted free agent available should the Sharks not be able to re-sign him. But if Pavelski becomes available, yeah. if I'm a contender and I – bless Claude Giroux, he's a hell of a player. But we're not talking enough about the season Joe Pavelski has been having for the Dallas Stars – and how good of a piece he could potentially be for a contender if Dallas were to go down that road. But it seems like they're more of the mind that that's a player we want to keep. Mm. And I do think Pavelski is an interesting case in that, you know, when we when we saw the contract, three years, seven million per, man, that's kind of expensive for, for how old he is. Well, and his first regular season there did not go great. No, it didn't. But he, the last two years, when the playoffs that year, that he was play- he was unreal. The cup run, yeah, uh, was incredible. You know, it's not that you can't sign guys in their mid thirties. You've got to pick the right ones, <laughs> yes, certainly, and uh, and be able to to extract value that way because so so many teams now are just averse to signing those yeah. types of players. A guy like Pavelski, however, even if Dallas wants to keep him and sign him, that could be one of those guys you move and then circle back and try to bring back in the offseason. Yeah. Because he's 37. Wherever he goes, he's not signing an extension, right? So if Dallas is out of the playoffs, then he's another really interesting playoff performer. I mean, he's been on two really deep playoff runs, and he, each of those runs, one, the last one in 2019-2020, uh, the Stars went to the Cup Final in the bubble year, He had 13 goals in 27 games. He was incredible. The year San Jose went to the Cup back in 2016, he had 14 goals in 24 games. Yeah. So he's a guy that has shown when you get on a run, he can score in the postseason, right? So you keep adding it to the list, and that's why we keep coming back to, yeah, Vancouver is looking to do something at the deadline, you know, and looking for opportunities and everything. But if the market ends up being a buyer's market, yeah, and the prices are not going to be astronomical, then the big pieces don't make sense for Vancouver to move at the trade deadline. It's something you re- revisit in the offseason. This why we keep kind of coming back to, I understand people's frustration. They want to see moves. They want to see change. And they, they don't think this team is good enough. And some people do think it's good enough. They want to help them out and all that sort of stuff. But the reality is, there's nothing that's happened yet or the market hasn't shaped up in a way where the Canucks are in a can't-miss situation where they have to sell. And because they have all these players on the contract – the organization looks at it and says, yeah. realistically, we could keep playing meaningful games, somehow, some way, claw our way into the playoffs or be close and still make our moves in the offseason because that's going to be maybe the better opportunity for us anyways to do things. So that's part of the reason, too. They're not in a rush and they don't want to punt on this year because why rush into something when the market hasn't developed? Well, I, I think the market hasn't developed in part because of some of these teams that are still waiting to see what they want to do. And... A lot of the teams that are out of the playoffs, you know, the Detroits, the New Jerseys, Ottawa, like do they really have pieces uh, that are going to move the needle for some contenders? You know, uh, I think a lot of teams are waiting on just what is actually going to be available. And those that may sell, well, they're waiting to see if there's an offer that's good enough for them to think about selling off a big piece while they're still in a playoff race, i.e. your Vancouver Canucks. Coming up, Kevin Woodley, his take on Yaroslav Halak's performance for the Canucks against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, I'm going to assume he's going to say, it was not great, but there's a lot more to the story, as we know. We'll get to Kevin Woodley, our goalie guru, next on Canucks Central.
Canuck Central continues here on uh, Sportsnet 650. Maybe you're listening on your smart speaker. Maybe you're listening on podcast. However you're listening, we do appreciate it. And if it is on podcast, please subscribe, leave a review. We do appreciate it as uh, every review goes a long way to help growing the show. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Feels so far removed from... uh, the disaster that was the Canucks and New Jersey Devils on Monday night sat. Kevin Woodley, our goalie guru, is going to join us in a moment. But the Yaroslav Halak situation has become the worst case scenario situation (laughs) for the Vancouver Canucks. It really has. Like right now it's trending towards the worst case scenario. For a while it was trending towards maybe the best case scenario. He was playing well. The numbers look good. Maybe you convince him to waver and all this sort of stuff. I mean, there were a lot of possibilities and the trend maybe was somewhat encouraging and not so encouraging right now. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big body language guy, generally speaking, but sometimes it is undeniable when you yeah. see somebody look as miserable as Halak looked. And we'll talk to Woodley about this because I know he's mentioned, too, that Halak isn't always the most... He doesn't always seem the most enthused person in the world to begin with. Yeah. But you could see, especially those last couple of games. I mean, the, the Islanders game, of course, but also the last one against the Devils. He looked like a defeated man. And what did Boudreaux say? He looked like a beaten man. Yeah. And he was looking for the pole on Monday night before he actually got it, that uh, sixth goal. Let's bring in our next guest. It is Kevin Woodley. Joins us every Wednesday here on Canuck Central in Goal Magazine and NHL.com. What's happening, Woodley? Not much. That's a look that I have pretty much every time I play beer league. But I look over at the bench, and there's just usually like three or four extra skaters there and not an extra goalie. So. Yeah. It's like uh, when you're playing shinny and you just you've had enough of like breakaways and two on ones coming at you. No, no, no. If I'm playing shinny and it's like that, I just leave. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't play shinny anymore. It's good enough. It makes sense. But Yaroslav Halak's performance the other night, um, it, it it obviously wasn't great. But what do you make of how uh, the situation played out in the second period and uh, where the situation is at right now for the Canucks? Yeah, it's a tough situation right now because not only have you got a, I mean, not that there's any uh, indication he would waive the no move anyways, but you've, you've got a sort of depleted asset there and, and a guy that, you know, for a team that needs to win every game, you've now got to wonder where the confidence level for both him and the guys in front of them has fallen to um, in terms of when's the next one, right? And I know there's not back-to-back for a while here, but if you take a look at the schedule, you know, coming out of like basically everything from what would have been the Olympics till the end of the season. Like, you know, we talked about this all year, you're going to need two. And uh, it's hard not to feel like they tried really hard not to lose this guy early in the season, but it's hard not to feel like they have here. And, um, you know, it's funny. I, I kind of look back at that Islanders game and you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was Joey Kenward actually um, that sent me some numbers on Yarrow versus the Islanders. And like ever since he left the Islanders, mm-hmm. they just get fired up the plan. They average like almost five goals a game and save percentage like eight fifty and didn't realize it going into that game, but in retrospect, like I wonder if as they were picking starts, if that wasn't maybe a red flag they could have considered. Not that you no, know, not that you want to read too much into that, but um sometimes when it's against a team that a guy played for for whatever reason, 
they just seem to have his number and it just feels like it's snowballed from there. And listen, part of this is, you know, if you look at what he was signed for and the reason you had to give him that no move is because he had options. Mm -hmm. And that's because he's been a really good 1B goaltender for a long time. The problem here is he's been asked to be a pure backup, like an every two-week guy. And if you look at his history, when he's played its best, it's with a little more playing time. And so you can't argue that now. Like You can't say you absolutely have to find more starts for this guy because we've seen how it's gone. Um, the question is whether he starts again at this point. Um, but earlier in the season, when things were going a little better, when he just couldn't get the run support, you know, I mean, up until that Islanders game, I think his uh, save percentage was identical to Demko's. And I talked about the adjusted numbers, you know, from a save percentage basis being very similar. Um, but every two weeks just isn't enough for him. And he's a guy that, and we've talked about this before, he doesn't look like Thatcher. They're not trying to make him look like Thatcher in a short period of time. They're not trying to reinvent his game. Uh, he's a guy that relies a lot on reads. He reads the game at an exceptional level. But anytime you rely on that ability, you're a little more prone to sort of rhythm and timing and feel good about things. And uh, a couple of weeks off between starts certainly doesn't help any of those aspects in terms of confidence. And now you couple that with some of the starts he's been behind in terms of unpredictable environments, and it just feels like this snowball is going downhill and getting bigger and bigger in a hurry. Well, I mean, the Canucks don't have a back-to-back, like you mentioned, up until pretty much the deadline, March 19th and March 20th, the Flames and the Sabres back to that point. I mean, so it's not even, you know, there's not going to be a lot of runway here to get his game going. He might just not play until that one of those two games. So how do you approach things with him? Like, I know he hasn't been willing to move his no, waive his no-move clause, but after a couple of those types of starts, does that change the equation at all, or is he just going to, you know, hunker down and get through this season? Um, you know, honestly, that's a tough one because that's something where you'd like to have that conversation with him. You don't want to be answered on his behalf. Yeah. So I don't want to pretend that I have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but like I said, like, like this is, a, you know, throughout has been more about, um, you know, family situation and them being settled, I believe here in terms of not wanting to move. Uh, I don't think he came here expecting to play every two weeks, guys. Like, I think that's part of mm. what was presented to him was a chance to be more of a 1B and and not be this pure backup role. And so I can't think that he's super happy here. And yet, if his family settled, if that's the reason he doesn't want to move, I don't know that a couple, you know, a couple crappy starts change that. Um, we've talked before about how important 300 wins is to him, um, but it's clearly not going to happen here. Uh, it's going to take, you know, somewhere else in another season. So the only thing that you might be able to appeal to or that he might consider is a chance to go to a good team where he can get back to an environment that's a little more predictable and he might get some more minutes and be able to find that rhythm and find that timing and be a little happier. And um, does that set him up for next season? I guess if you tell him you're not going to play him the rest of the year, um, that might be the type of extreme that would, you know, force you to think twice especially if despite the last few starts there were some attractive options on the table uh in terms of destinations and you know i think that that probably gets harder because of the last two starts but at the same time when you look at his career and you look at his track record throughout um there are probably still a lot more teams that are going to look at this guy and say hey if we give him a you know, we give him a little more run. We give him a little more play. Say you're in a playoff spot and you're comfortable and you're not worried about every win and you can you can afford to give him a couple games where he can get his feet back under him. I think there's enough of a track record there that 
Um, there will be some teams that still see him as a guy who can play, you know, at that level. Um, but again, none of it matters if, if he's, if he's not interested in moving. And you know, again, that's that, like the reason they had to give him that is because he was an attractive option. There were other offers. There were other teams that valued him. And so that was the cost of getting him as much as you may not like that they gave him the no move. Uh, they felt they had that need at the backup spot. Uh, they felt they needed that security. And that was part of the package. That was part of the price. They also felt they needed a deferred salary, right? You had to like look at the options 35 plus that allowed you to split this into a one-year salary and a second-year bonus that you could carry over. And there weren't a lot. Like It was Yaroslav Halak and Brian Elliott. And with all due respect, due respect to Brian Elliott, I think most teams would have leaned towards Yaroslav Halak um, just again, because of that track record. I mean, we're just, you know, a season and a half removed from this being a guy who not only played up to the level of, but pushed to Karask for starts in Boston. We, we talk a lot about, uh, the organizational goalie setup that they have here with, with Ian Clark and, and how that works and how that's a huge win for this organization. But, you know, you can now call the the, the the Halak signing a bit of a miss to this point, and also the Holtby signing was a miss. What were the mistakes made? Do you see the mistakes that were made there by the organization in targeting those goalies? Well, I'd say that the Holtby signing was more about management somehow truly believing that they had, like, Braden Holtby, Vesna Braden Holtby still, like that that was the guy they were getting. And when he arrived, um, they quickly went about trying to fix and change his game. And that was going to be a process that took time. But because it was a two-year deal, they thought they would have time. And I think towards the end of it, and I think there were some unique cir- circumstances we've talked about it before in terms of that being a season where it was tough to make changes for a lot of goalies in their game because they just couldn't get comfortable. And as soon as the season started, because it was abbreviated, every every start mattered. There was no chance. There was no preseason. no chance to sort of get comfortable with the changes. And so... You've seen Holtby have a bit of a bounce back in Dallas, maybe not to those old levels, but still, you know, I think he's running a 9-12 right now. Again, behind a better defensive team, but um, you know, he, he looks better this year. And I think, so whether there's a disconnect there in terms of management signing a guy thinking they've got a Vesna Trophy winner and bringing him to a coach who then says, we've got to fix all these things and that's going to take time, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. that's how it played out. Uh, in terms of Halak, like I really, again, I, I think this is more maybe not it's a, it's a tough one because if I don't know whether I know that he was told he would play more, I know that it was presented as more of a one B option, um, and maybe that's a just what you say to get him here, mm. or maybe that's uncertainty over Thatcher's ability to take the step he's taken this year. But either way, you know when you lean this heavily on your goaltending and you can't afford anything less than Vezina Trophy level to win it's tough to get that out of a backup. And so you tend to lean more and more on the young guy that's playing at that level. And you take a guy who's all his success, like take a look at, at a lax track record. Yeah. Like all his success is in a one B role and, and further back in his career in a starter role. Like the only other season where he's been sub 900 was when he had 16 starts with St. Louis in 2012, 2013, now abbreviated season, 48 games, but even 16 starts that year compared to like, Every other season, he's been in the 30s or so, and that's where he's at his best, like 25, 30, 40. 
And so maybe the expectation that he'd be able to do the same thing playing less is where the mistake was made on this one. I don't know it's so much that you got the wrong guy as much as you got the wrong guy for the role you ended up needing. Um, part of the problem with this is they haven't yet built up mm-hmm. uh, a depth chart under Ian Clark that allows them to just keep rolling one guy into the other. Like, it's easy to look at Spencer Martin now and say, well, you had this option in the American Hockey League all along. You didn't need Yaroslav Halak. But if Spencer Martin isn't in the American League working with Curtis Sanford, like the Spencer Martin that they got here for three games of exceptional play was not the Spencer Martin that started the season. And it took a month to sort of start to make some of the changes that helped him have that performance. You, you couldn't have counted on him out of the gate. But now as you start to get more of these guys in your system for longer periods of time, like Spencer Martin, if he's willing to stay, becomes an option for you next year. The problem is they haven't built enough of those options internally that they, don't, that they, can, that they feel confident that they don't have to go out and get help. And, and again, part of that too is your old management group felt like they needed to make the, like it was all in, right? We needed a veteran guy. We couldn't risk it just being Thatcher Demko. We needed somebody just in case, whether it was just in case Demko wasn't up to the job or just in case Demko felt wasn't, couldn't stay healthy. We needed a plan B that we felt we could start. And, and again, if Demko had had injury issues and Yaroslav Halak plays a bunch of games earlier in the season, the irony here is if Yaro doesn't get, if he doesn't get um, COVID on the road and is available when Thatcher ultimately misses games mm-hmm. because of COVID, um, none of this may have happened because he probably would have had a chance, better chance to get his, you know, his feet under him and start feeling comfortable and feel some of that timing and rhythm and make those reads that he's always been so good at. But as is, um, you know, starting once every couple of weeks, that's tough on any goalie. And it's tough, especially on a goalie who relies so much on his ability to sort of read and anticipate the game. Yeah, and you know, it, it just kind of, like you mentioned, really put into question what the pipeline is going to look like or what the backup situation is going to look like long term. And in fairness, I mean, it took Demko until he was 24 to become a, a regular backup in the NHL. Mikey DiPietro hasn't even turned 23 yet, but... It's one of those things, it doesn't look like next year is going to be the thing. And so when you start mapping out, okay, starts in, U, uh, in Abbotsford next season and how you kind of build this all out, how important is it going to be not to only find a guy next year, but potentially somebody else in the organization that could be a long-term solution? Yeah, I, I mean, the more options you have, the better off you are, right? Because the one thing that we just kind of mentioned it, like that hasn't happened this year, Satcher stayed healthy, right? despite having a lot of workload, um, being one of the busier goalies in the NHL, outside of the COVID absence, he stayed, you know, remarkably healthy. Or or I, should, I shouldn't say, like, there's clearly been times where he's playing through stuff, but he's that guy, right? Like, he's that's part of being, um, that's part of being a number one, is that, that willingness and, and ability to do that. But you can't count on that every year, right? So you need to have an option you feel comfortable with to start a bunch of games. And, um sometimes it's hard to find that balance. Like has Spencer Martin shown you enough that, that he could be just your backup or do you hope maybe you can get him on a two way and have him as an insurance policy, but then do you get the best out of Mikey DiPietro long-term if he's behind Spencer Martin in the AHL? All kind of depends on how much you trust each guy to step into, not just the role he's in, but the role he would have to elevate to if say Demko were to miss four to six with an E tweak, like just, you know, an example of one of those injuries that can happen to any goaltender and, and cost you a month. Um, so 
you know, I don't, I don't have that answer in terms of whether they are comfortable, but if Spencer Martin wants to invest and stay here longer and, and, and take advantage of that option, I think a lot of people look at his three games and be like, oh, there'll be offers everywhere. But, you know, don't forget, there's, there's a handful of guys that have sort of done what Spencer Martin did this year. Maybe not quite to the level he did, but, you know, Charlie Lindgren got five games with the Blues, went 5-0-0 with a 9-58. Um, Zach Fucali uh, had a really good run in three games with the Washington Capitals. Like there are other guys in that role. So just to assume they're all going to get one way offers might be a tad premature. And maybe a guy like Spencer Martin, you know, recognizes the things that have improved in his game and is willing to stick around here to continue that development path with the coaching staff. Um, whether it's with the promise of being number two in the NHL or just being the, the option to be that first call up. So, I, we'll see where it all sorts out, but the more options you have, the better. Uh, the problem is, like this year, with Martin playing so well now, basically you ha- you hamstrung yourself with the no move because right now, if you could have moved Yaroslav Halak out earlier and moved Martin up and gotten Mikey playing more and gotten Silovs playing more, especially if you were able to get that level of play out of Martin up here, um, it would have been perfect. But right now, not only do you have two guys, one guy here struggling and stuck, but now you've got three goalies in a rotation in the AHL. And, well, every team sort of needs three just to get through the season down there the way it's going. Um, it's not ideal for the development of DiPietro to be watching Spencer Martin as much as he has this season. Kevin Woodley, our guest. Uh, so I think the Canucks played pretty well against the Rangers on, on Sunday, Woodley. But um... I mean, they should have been down – like. Yes, they should have been down pretty good in the first period. Like those were, they had one scoring chance. Like they scored two goals that shouldn't go in. Yeah, I'll give you Pearson's alone in the slot because he hit a spot, but the Myers goal should never go in. Yeah, and neither one of those goals matter if if not for great A saves at the other end by Thatcher Demko. Like five great A's in the first period. Chris Kreider could have had four goals. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we understand how good Demko was in that game when, until you start to look at the, at, at, you know, the quality of the chances, especially in that first period. And the mm-hmm. fact that they scored on counters off of them, like to me, Demko is the reason they're not out of that game in the first period, ironically against the team that was playing at second as many nights. So I'll give them the second period. They, they played really well and got two goals that were well earned. Um, but I'm not willing to grant that that was a, a good start against the Rangers. So that was a stolen win then for Demko. Again, well, some people disagree, but uh, <laughs> statistically, statistically, it's you know what it was a combination. Like he stole them the first period, yeah. no question. And you know, but but part of it, in fairness, is actually what sort of makes it less of a stolen win is the other guys kind of stunk. You know, speaking of guys that haven't played in a month, yeah. um, you know, Georgie kind of handed them two in the first period that just flat out shouldn't go in. I mean, that Myers shot is a low percentage shot. Mm-hmm. Um, he's time set square and just drifts the other way on a shot from the top of the circle. Like, that just should not go in. It goes in less than 5% of the time. So to count on that counter and say, oh, it's a good, great counterattack, like, hey, yeah, absolutely. And it created a scoring chance that should, really shouldn't go in after your goalie made a save at the other end that probably should have, and one of five in that period alone. Like I said, Kreider could have had four goals in that game quite easily. Mm-hmm. They weren't just quote-unquote grade A's. They were like A++. They were like 40% chance chances that he was stopping like it was it was for a shorter period of time than the Leafs game but it was definitely bullets in his teeth in the first period 
One, well, the Canucks do face the Leafs yet again coming up on Saturday. And, you know, we saw the Canucks take advantage of Peter Mrazek at least early on in that game. Maybe they faced Jack Campbell, but he hasn't exactly been great. I mean, what do you make of the goalie situation in Toronto and how may that play in the Canucks' favor, potentially? Well, I mean, I don't know how you can look at the goalie situation in Toronto and not, if you're a Leafs fan at least, and not be a little bit nervous. I mean, Jack Campbell has been one of the worst statistical goalies in the National Hockey League since the calendar turned to 2022. Like, what's he given up? Five in five goals or more in six of his last 13 starts. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is, you know, I think up until tonight, they've only played Mrazic, what, 12 games? Mm-hmm. Like, you paid Peter Mrazic, I think, 3.8 a year off the top of my head. He had a, through an injury-riddled season in Carolina, but some really good numbers when he was healthy with the Canes last year, um, it, relative to environment. And I thought they got him to play. And what's been amazing to me is, is how reluctant they've been to this point to give him the job or even an opportunity to win it. And so it'll be interesting to see whether they get whether the Canucks get, it'll probably depend on what happens um with the Leafs game, I think, tonight. But it'll be interesting to see whether they who they get depending on how Morazic plays. Because it's because of how Campbell played last year and because of how we started this year, the Leafs just keep going back to him in the hopes that everything fixes itself and it just hasn't. And I get it in some respects, but if it's at the expense of giving Morazic a chance to get going himself then I don't get it and frankly I think it's probably a mistake you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of Dave Tippett just consistently running Mike Smith out there because he's his guy and he thinks that's the guy who has the best chance to catch lightning in a bottle and get on the hot streak they need Um, and it feels the same in Toronto although we may finally see that shift coming Uh, I just it's nothing against Jack Campbell his numbers actually right now are exactly where they finished last season in terms of adjusted save percentage. The difference is last season was steady. Wasn't as good as everybody thought it was, because, again, they were a great defensive team in Toronto. It was the first year they became that. But it was steady. This year he's hit the same level, and you could say, oh, well, that's just who Jack Campbell is. But it's been like Vesna candidate through the first quarter and bio candidate through the second quarter. So um, that would make me nervous. That inconsistency would make me nervous. And he's a guy that wears his heart on his sleeve, and we love that in the media, and fans love it. And it's hard not to cheer for Jack Campbell because of the good person he is and all he's overcome to get here. And yet when you watch the emotional ups and downs play out in real time with such honesty in post-game scrums and, and media interviews over the past two years, you can't help but wonder ironically, how the lack of a contract beyond this year is affecting him. Um, Things start to go bad. Are you just focused on the next shot or you start to think about everything else that's happened and think about, oh my God, if I don't fix this soon, because it's really going the wrong way for two weeks here, I might not get to play here next year or I might not get a contract. I mean, in some ways it's good for the Leafs because they didn't shell out the $5 million a year that some people were somehow absurdly suggesting earlier in this season um and yet if it's at the expense of the confidence of a guy you thought was going to be your number one in the playoffs and need to feel confident then you know that's a hell of a catch 22 for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the meantime they've let the guy they paid 3.8 to to sort of be 
you know, a one a 1A or a one B alongside him rot. Well, they give Campbell opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. So I think there's been some misses on the coaching side there as well. And I'll be curious to see if they don't just go to a straight back and forth, like what the blues are doing right now. Bennington's playing well again. They're just going to go to a straight rotation the rest of the way. Season's busy. We talked about the workload and how much demand there's going to be on goaltenders. Every goalie wants to play every game. If you've got two guys that actually can, the best thing you can do is just rotate them. Take away all that crap and pressure of winning you're in and all that. Why add pressure? Why add layers to it? Simplify it. The Blues are doing it down the stretch with Bennington and Huso. I'll be interesting to see if the Leafs uh, adopt the same approach with Campbell and Mrazek until one of them grabs it and grabs it more firmly than either one has now. Woodley, uh, we appreciate the time as always. Thank you. My pleasure, guys. Uh, there is Kevin Woodley, one of our favorites, and joins us every Wednesday on Canucks Central.